This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast, episode 87. Today, I'm talking to Christina Stanley, a returning Rebel guest, and we're talking all about editing, but from an editor's point of view. So you're going to get a kind of insider's guide to editing, and I hope it's going to be really useful uh, for you all in terms of things to take away for your own editing. But first to last week's question, which was, we're almost halfway through the year. Are you where you want to be? So first in we have Linda who said, nowhere near where I wanted to be, but it's okay. I still worked my arse off and I probably overestimated what I could realistically get done. P.S. Atlas totally rocked. As a co-star, you must be bursting at the seams level of proud. I really am. He's such a good little boy, really. Um, Okay, and then Carrie said, I'm a little behind on my original goals, but I can't focus on writing when the weather has been so gorgeous out lately. So I've been taking Tiny Rebel on little outdoor adventures whenever I can. Aw, that's so wonderful. And, you know, like... Yes, writing is wonderful and we all love it and it fills our soul with joy. But actually, you know what? There is nothing better than spending time with family. So I couldn't agree more with you. Erin said, not exactly. I thought I would be doing final edits by now. Instead, I've had to start over with a new editor when the old one fell through. Here's hoping I can still publish this fall. Billy said, I'm struggling. I've rewritten the first chapter three times. Each time it gets worse. I hate this. I'm totally doubting myself. This just sucks. That's, I'm really sorry that you're going through that. Um, What I will say is that I have another friend, uh, Lucy, who is absolutely amazing at doing first drafts. And I hope she won't mind me saying this, but it's only when she then like overthinks and over rewrites that um, she then struggles. She is the absolute queen of writing an amazing first draft. And I wish I had that skill um, that she does. So maybe you should just trust your instincts. And uh, hey, I know everybody says don't give your first draft out to anybody but maybe just try and see and see what the feedback is um okay Val Neal said I am not where I want to be my debut novel is coming out so that's on track but I'm still stuck on book two rewrites and I want to punch a wall once it's done I'll still need to hire a sensitivity reader to be honest if I have to do major revisions after that I'll probably cry I just want to finish this shit so I can work on book three Oh, trust me when I say I understand. We have all been there. And I think by the time I get to the end of any book, I am so sick of it. I'm ready to punch a wall as well. Edwin says, I'm working to get back on track. Catching up isn't even on uh, the same planet. Then we had some lovely comments. Cecily said, uh, I'm slowly going through the podcast and wanted to say that they are also very informative, useful, humorous, easy listening. Thank you so much. That is very sweet of you. Um, And Estelle said, thank you so much for mentioning me in the podcast last week. She was last week's Rebel of the Week. Um, So yeah, okie dokie. To this week's question then, which is, How do you process your editorial notes? All right, book recommendation of the week this week is A Dead Gin in Cairo by, 
I'm not even going to try and pronounce the name because I'm going to get it wrong. Um, but it's P and then D J E L I. And there are some accents on that as well. And then the surname is Clark. And, um, I've put all of the, I've put some affiliate links in the show notes. So this book is very, very short. It's about 45, 45? No, it's about 50 pages, I think. 45, 50 pages. Wow. Loud, like, motorbike or something. Rude. Um, anyway, and, um, oh, it's a helicopter. Uh, anyway, so that's unusual. <sighs> Get to the fucking point, Sasha. Uh, okay, so a dead chin in Cairo. Right, this book was recommended to me by Carly, and Carly is the host of, uh, the co-host of the Act Break podcast which is a new podcast and uh, I am going on that podcast in a few weeks which will be lovely we actually recorded it last night and it was super fun um and so the reason I wanted to recommend this book this novella I should say is it was absolutely exquisitely fantastic um if you want a it's sort of historical um but it is kind of Stephen Hunky's kind of Victorian-esque but it's in Cairo and obviously it's fantasy and the world building was next level. I couldn't believe that in 45 pages or 50 pages or whatever it was there had been that depth and that like extensive level of world building. If you are a fan of world building I highly recommend you check out this novella. Um, I was so impressed that I went ahead, he's got another novella that's about twice the length, about a hundred and something pages. And then his first full novel in this world has, the hardback has just come out and I've got the paper, but I don't really like hardback, so I've got the paperback on pre-order, which comes out in August. I, I am ready to binge <laughs> both of them back to back because it was that good. So, um, yeah, I highly recommend uh, you go and check out that. And it's only, I think it's only like 99p or something because it's so short. Anyway, so personal updates. Well, this week I, uh, uh, we are only about five weeks away from the deadline for the Rebel Author Diaries submissions. So I do recommend you start to get those submissions in. Time is ticking away. In personal news this week, I had a very rocky week. Um... I'm not going to lie, I was a bit tearful yesterday. Um, I think I am chronically tired. It has been, for everybody, a very long couple of years. And um, yesterday it just got to me. And I realised I really need more rest. So um, I've booked a couple of weeks out in August during the summer holidays and um, I'm not going to do Monday accountability for the next week, two weeks in uh, my Facebook group. My admins are going to do it so it continues to run and um, I'm just trying to withdraw a little bit the amount that I am doing so that I can focus on the right things um, which is surprisingly hard. <laughs> I don't know why that's so hard. I mean yes I know I am a chronic workaholic um, I do love what I do, but also I am frustrated because I'm not doing the right things. I don't feel like I'm making enough progress. And that's because I'm spending so much time on admin instead of creation. And that's not where I should be. That's not where anybody should be. Um, and so I need to change that. And I don't really feel like I have the perspective I need in order to change that. So yeah, 
although it's a little way away, I am trying to at least breathe in a little bit of rest. So the next two weeks I have nothing uh, in, in the diary for the evening because I think I've worked like the last seven nights again consecutively. And of course I work all day and then I'm mum in the middle and then I've been working all night. So I am fucked, basically. I'm really tired and I'm not really helping myself to get the important things done. That said, uh, in important things, <laughs> I did finish my critique partner edits on side characters. So that book is more or less done now. I am going to give it one more read through. I'm going to run it through... Um, Pro writing aid of course uh, and yeah just do that final read through and then um, I think I am done done and it will go to the editor so I'm a little bit behind actually I'm quite a lot behind I thought it would be with the editor last week um, but hopefully I can I don't know <laughs> pick up speed again so yes, um, what else have I been doing? Well, I can't remember if I told you this last week, but I have been recording audiobook chapters and I'm going to be recording more audiobook chapters this weekend. I think I also mentioned this in the last episode, but it's worth mentioning again because it's such a cracking um, conversation. But I was on Jenna Moresi's YouTube channel and uh, we are talking about how to podcast as authors so that is super useful and I will link to that again in the show notes I don't really feel like I have a lot else to say I'm just so weary um this week that I don't know yeah let's just move on all right so Christina our wonderful guest this week has been very kind uh and given you all a gigantic discount. So she has a course called An Insider's View of Story Editing and the course description is 13 professional story editors edited the same novel. Each editor worked separately in Fictionary Story Coach. This course compares their edits and shows you what worked and what didn't. You'll see actual examples of edits. We'll show you a scene before and after revisions were done based on the edits. If you want to validate it, if you want to evaluate your skills as, as a story editor, this course shows you how fictionary certified story coach editors work. You'll know what you need to deliver to a client to help them tell a powerful story. If you're a writer looking to hire a professional story editor, this course shows you what you should receive from a story editor. So this is useful both for editors and for writers wanting to understand what kind of uh, quality they should be getting from their editors. Now the course is usually $99, but because you are a listener of my show, you can get it for just $39 US dollars. And, and you need to use coupon code Sasha Rebels. And I will include that um, in the show notes. So I've got um, my affiliate code and the coupon code. So that is a whopping discount that you guys are going to get. Um, and Christina has been even more doubly generous and given you a 20% tw discount off of the annual story or monthly actually storyteller uh, subscription. So you can go and have a look at all of that. All of the links are in the show notes. Okay, Rebel of the Week. 
Rebel of the Week this week is Jeray Anthony. Um, she says, I used to work at a non-profit and was cross-promoted across the agency into a new role that I'd never done before. They sought me out from an entry-level billing position and promoted me to community development coordinator because my skills from an epic secret Santa game. Basically, when my job started, I was just supposed to be the PR slash recruiter for new volunteers. But as time passed and I excelled more and more, they started putting more and more on my plate. Mm, very typical. Uh, after being in the position for over two years, my job was completely different from when I'd started. I hustled late nights, worked many hours over and was basically killing it at my job. Then one day they decided to add volunteer trainer to my responsibility, uh, but I had, I'd have to work with a co-worker and we were to tag team the training. All was fine and dandy until we had a gay couple sign up for the training class. Now this was a national non-profit uh, to pair volunteers to speak up and advocate for abused and neglected children in the foster care system. As you may know some of those abused and ne neglected children are part of the LGBT community so it's a very big deal that we train our volunteers and we weed them out if necessary so they will actually be a help to children and families families that may be different than them. This is where the shit hit the fan. My co-worker and my director were both in favour of skipping that portion of the training because they felt uncomfortable. <laughs> I, being the rebel that I am, working in this uh, podunk down in the south, pointed out how incredibly wrong that was. They let me do the training and all was fine until it was time for my performance review. Uh-oh. Oh. My boss did mine ahead of time and five random co-workers were selected to review me as well. I received a perfect review across the board when it was my turn. I may have said some hard truths that weren't easy for my director to swallow. In all honesty, I thought I was much kinder than I had to be. <laughs> Anyway, she was so angry during our face-to-face -face review that she threw the paperwork all over the office and fired me on the spot because she thought I didn't respect her. I quickly clarified she was right. <laughs> and then I pointed out specific times where she <gasps> called a co-worker a faggot because he beat her in a card game at... Uh, at the, in, at the lunch table in front of her colleagues. Oh my God. Her face turned red and I've never seen someone so humiliated. I walked out with a smile on my face knowing she will remember that burn for the rest of her life. I fully intend on using her name in, as a villain in a future book because I'm a petty bitch. Do you know what? You ought to because that is unacceptable and disgraceful. I, um, I just, it's beyond me in this day and age that we still have so much racism, that we have so much homophobia, transphobia, like, what the fuck? Why can't everybody just love each other and get on with it? Like, what other people do in their lives is none of anybody's fucking business. Like, why, if it's not a, if, if somebody's not hurting you, why does it, why does it matter? Why can't everybody just be happy? Like, I know, I'm sure that's me coming from a privileged position or whatever, but I just, I find it, I just, I just don't, I just try to be kind to everybody and I don't understand how that's so fucking difficult for so many fucking people in this world and it really pisses me off, as you can tell. And, you know, like, yeah, I've been a victim of homophobia. I've had people shout things at me in the street. I've had people spit at me and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, like, I just don't... 
I don't know. I, it really makes me lose faith in humanity when I hear stories like this. And so, like, one, good for you for standing up, uh, A, for yourself, but B, like, for the LGBTQ community as well. Like, thank you for being an ally. And, yeah, I just thank, thank you for being a rebel. All right, if you would like to be a Rebel of the Week this week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, big, small, or somewhere in between. You can email your Rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or you can Instagram me at Sasha Black Author. And I have to say, we are super low on Rebel stories. I only have a couple left. So if you have been umming and ahhing or sitting on the fence, even if you've sent one in before, please do send in your stories because... I don't want this segment to end. It's one of my favourite um, segments of the whole week. Three new patrons this week. Welcome and a huge thank you to Matty Dalrymple, Eden Collier and uh, Lucy uh, Barod Sudrio. And I apologise if I have mispronounced his name. Please do let me know and um, I can correct myself. A big thank you to all my existing patrons as well. You guys are awesome. And um, I just... I say this to you guys in the uh, Poison and Prose, but you you guys like chip the coal off of my heart. And I don't know, I'm feeling all emotional and all of the things. And I'm just super grateful. Like, I'm so surprised that I have as many patrons as I do. And I'm grateful for each and every one of you. It means the world to me and makes me feel like what I do is worthwhile. So thank you guys so much. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes as well as bonus content, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. This week's episode is sponsored by Kobo Writing Life, so I am going to play a word from the sponsor and then we'll get on with the interview. Hi, I'm Stephanie. And I'm Joni. And we're from the Kobo Writing Life podcast. Kobo Writing Life is Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors, and our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. If you're looking for some tips on growing your indie publishing business this year, the Kobo Writing Life podcast is a great resource. We've talked to authors big and small, and they always have something to teach us. One of my favorite episodes from the recent months was our conversation with Karen Slaughter, who's a best-selling crime author with years of experience. She discussed with us her career, delved into what makes a great crime novel, and she talked about the double standards imposed on female crime writers. Karen also told us about her nonprofit, Save the Libraries, and provided some great advice for aspiring authors. In episode 200, we interviewed Kobo CRM marketing manager, Christina Mendez, about marketing your books on a global scale. She provided tips for global messaging, the importance of being universal but not generic. She discusses the different tactic Kobo uses to market ebooks and audiobooks and explains how the Kobo recommendations algorithm works. My favorite part of the interview is when Christina shares her insights about what makes the Kobo customer unique. Spoiler alert, the Kobo customer is a voracious reader and they're constantly reading. They love to read long series and the most popular genres are romance and thrillers. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life or our podcast, check out our blog and find us on social media. You can find our podcast on all podcast providers. If you're ready to start your self-publishing journey, you can create your free account at kobo.com slash writing life. Bye, Rebels. 
Hello and welcome back to returning rebel Christina Stanley. Christina um, is the CEO of Fictionary so I'm going to read just a little bit about her before we dive into um, a brand new juicy topic all about uh, an inside look at editing. Okay so combining her degree in computer mathematics with her success as a best-selling award-winning author and fiction editor Christina Stanley is the creator and CEO of Fictionary, creative editing software for non-fiction writers and editors. She is a Fictionary certified story coach. Her novels include the Stone Mountain Mystery Series and Look the Other Way. She is the author of the Author's Guide to Selling Books, uh, uh, to Selling a Book to non bookstores uh, and she's a passionate guide dog trainer and hiker and I did have the very very wonderful pleasure of meeting your new guide dog Sage a minute ago didn't I? <laughs> yes you did and she's the cutest but all the puppies are the cutest when they first arrive. <laughs> they're just like the thing I think the thing I love most about puppies is how their paws are giant against like their body and it's just yep. the cutest thing in the world yep. and they're all sort of like what's the word they like bumble around and it's adorable. Well, it's been over a year since you were on the show because you were one of the very first um, interviewees on the show. I think you were like maybe episode four, I want to say. I will yeah. double check that and I'll put a link in the show notes to um, the original episode. So since that time and in the last sort of year, year and a half, what have you been up to? What's been keeping you busy? What have you been doing with Fictionary? Yeah, so with Fictionary, my favorite topic, of course, because it's mine. Um, in the last year, we've introduced um, a product for professional editors for fiction called Story Coach. And part of the reason we're talking today about an insider's view into story editing is that um, I had the great pleasure and awesome experience of training 13 different editors. Uh, Sasha was one of them. And Sasha is the world's first mm -hmm. fictionary certified story coach. Yes. So um, through that, though, I talked to a lot of writers and a lot of editors and um, had the experience of finding so many writers out there that aren't getting what they need from an editor. And so we did a lot of thought around, okay, we have a product storyteller for fiction writers to edit their own story from a high level perspective. And we have a product for professional editors to help them be objective and comprehensive and have the ability to give great advice and still do it in a time frame that's affordable for them. So that's all in place. And then we thought, well, we really need now to help writers figure out what do they need from an editor? What kind of editor do they need to hire? And when they do that, how do they know they're getting a good editor? So really this last year has been all about discovery of how writers and editors work together. Yeah, I think there are like so many myths and mis misnomers and, you know, like, I don't want to say lies, but just like misperceptions or misconceptions that happen around editors. And I do know of people who have been shafted by um, con artists masquerading as um, editors. And it's, yeah, I definitely think this is information that 
certainly newer writers, but even like experienced writers, it happens. Mm-hmm. Like if your editor's booked and you need somebody else, it is terrifying having to find a new editor because, yeah. you know, you spend so long building up trust with these people. Um, so yeah, I'm like really excited to dive into um into this topic. So you mentioned your insider's view of of like the course that you're doing, which is called an insider's view of story editing. So do you want to tell everyone just a little bit about the course where they can find out information about it? Yeah. So it's on Teachable and Sasha is going to put the link um, in the notes for the podcast. You can find it there. It's a long link, so I just won't say it now, but um, I'll tell you the history behind the course. So last year, Um, we put 13 editors through training to be a story coach and not all of the editors passed. And at the end of that, I realized that I had a wealth of information of how editors work and what they do and what's good editing and what's not good editing. And so um, all of the editors signed an agreement that I could use their work product anonymously. So there's no names in this course or anything. Nobody can tell who wrote what. Um, But basically what the course is doing is going through what a writer should expect from a story editor and um, what editing helps them. So what is good story editing? What is bad story editing? Um, What they should look for when they're hiring an editor. And and the course is also directed at editors to show them if you're saying you're a story editor, you Mm. need to do the following things. And if you don't, you're not a story editor. And one of the real driving reasons for me to put this together was that I had two different authors last year who told me they had already had a story editor, if you want to call it a structural edit, but they didn't think their story was good. So could I do that? And I said, well, sure, let me see your edit. And I went, okay, so what you got was a copy edit. That's not a story edit. And because the writer didn't know what to expect from a story edit, they thought, oh, okay, this is what I get. And so it was very unfortunate. So now this person is now paying me to do a story edit and then they have to go and do a copy edit after that anyway. And so it was very disheartening for me to see really serious writers who are trying to put the best book out there possible and didn't get what they needed. And so, you know, there are a lot of great editors out there and it's just about finding the right ones. That's all. And, and knowing what you as a writer want from an editor. I think that one of the reasons that the definitions of editors get confused is because when you do have a good editor, they will slip and slide up the spectrum of of editing. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes I know from my experience that when a client comes to me and they're like, oh, I need this. And I'm like, oh, honey you don't need that, you need this. Yeah. And so you do slip and slide up that scale. And I think that doesn't help writers. And so Mm -hmm. this is an excellent segue into like my first question, which is, can you tell writers the difference between the different types of editors? So although many editors will, you know, pick and choose depending Mm -hmm. on what you need, what is the definition of a developmental editor, a copy line Mm -hmm. proofer? You know, what do each of them do? Yeah, so let's distinguish first between um, nonfiction and fiction. 
So I'm talking strictly about fiction. Nonfiction has very specific meanings for structural line content on the academia side. I don't do any of that. It's a different genre altogether. Within the fiction genre, there are there is story editing, and that's very similar to structural editing for fiction. Then there's copy editing, and then there's proofreading, which is not actually editing. And I'll explain why in a second. So story editing is the big picture edit of your story. And that's what I focus on. I, I don't um, ever take on just a copy edit. It's not my skill set. I'm I am trained in story editing. And so I like to focus on that. It's my favorite one. Um, and it's really looking at um, is the story arc right? What's the structure of the of the novel on a word count or a chapter basis? Um, what are the characters? How many characters are in a scene? Do the characters have goals? So it's all the big picture things for your characters, your plot and your settings, and then all rolled up into this big structure of a story arc. However, when you, so let me just say what a copy edit is first. So a copy edit is looking at the line and word level of a novel. And so it's fixing grammar and punctuation, repetitive words, um, maybe confusion in sentences. There might be a little bit of paragraph restructuring or breaking a paragraph into two because it's two subjects or, you know, looking at the dialogue and, and trying to tighten it up a little bit and stuff. Where it gets confusing between the two is typically someone who's doing a story edit will do a little bit of copy editing as they go. And typically what I recommend to a story editor is don't do too much because it takes your brain focus away from the story and it's a different skill set. And if you start focusing on copy editing, that's all you see. And it's a disservice to the writer. But when you see repetitive errors, so for example, um, somebody has formatted dialogue wrong the whole way through. Think, okay, here's how you formal that dialogue. You as the author go away and fix that. And maybe mm -hmm. here's a book on, on dialogue that you can read, but I'm not gonna go through and fix every piece because then all I'm doing is looking for the error in the dialogue formatting, as opposed to doing what I'm being paid to do, which is more expensive. A story edit's more expensive than a copy edit. And so you really don't want your editor doing that. On the copy editing side, there will be copy editors who point out, hey, this scene shouldn't, you know, it should be down one, it's out of order. Or, you know, you have too many characters in this scene, I can't, I can't keep track. And so a copy editor is gonna do maybe a little bit of story editing, but really focus on copy editing. Proofreading, and the reason I say it's not editing is your book is done, it's formatted, and the proofreader is looking for typos. They're not changing words, they're not making suggestions for a different sentence, for paragraph breaks, nothing. They're reading a formatted book and looking for typos. And they're done. So that again is a completely different skill set that you might have one editor for story editor, a different editor for copy editing, and a different person for proofreading along the way, depending on how you want to do it. Yeah, and um, I, I love that you've been you've given such a comprehensive um, answer. My my as an as an editor, I always found it very difficult when you would get a manuscript that was for story editing, so for that developmental stage, but um, the copy was such that um, you couldn't do a story edit mm -hmm. because 
there were so many errors or so so much um so many tweaks needed that it took all of your attention away from mm-hmm. the um the the story and so this is always like one thing that i like to highlight when people ask or you know how do i know like when I'm ready Mm -hmm. for a story edit or a developmental edit. And the issue is like people might say, oh, well, you know, once you've done your first edit, you know, you can give it to a developmental editor. No, like you need to do some of your own copy editing because, you know, and get it to the best of your ability, both at a story level and at a copy editing level. So Mm -hmm. that then the advice that you're getting from your editor um, is as good as it can be so they're not focusing all their time on um like the line work I don't know if that's something that you've like experienced as well absolutely and a good story editor editor will read your sample that you send in and they're going to determine do they want to edit your book or not is it a genre they like is there something they think they can help with and one of the issues is this needs too much copy editing so that the story editor should actually say you're not ready don't use me really you need to either use a a copy editor to help you learn this or you need to go figure it out and here's various books I have a host of books that I recommend and one is yours of course Anatomy of Prose on how to write a good sentence um, so that the writer can go back and do their own self-editing first and it's exactly what you're saying they'll get the most value out of a story editor if they've done their best to copy edit now I typically find I edited one book last fall where the copy editing was superb like superb. You think, holy moly, this is fantastic. So it was all story editing. It was a complete joy to edit. And then I have the other end where, where as the writer goes through, you'll see, okay, there are repetitive copy editing mistakes. And usually kind of partway through the edit, I'll, you know, maybe I'll see something and go, okay, I'm going to recommend a book for you to read while I'm editing so you can get knowledgeable on this topic. And then in a summary letter, I'll say, here are the areas. So filtering, for example, sometimes is a problem. Um, Repeated words, whatever, whatever it is that the author's doing, passive versus active. So they have somewhere to go and reference and read about it while I'm working. And then when they get my edit and they see in the summary letter, oh, I have too much filtering in here, then they have a resource to actually understand what it is. And when they do the revisions, they can fix it. And if you're an editor and you're listening, this reminded me of one other thing. You mentioned um, like an editor reading the samples. One lesson that I learned very hard as an editor is not to ask for the first three or five chapters, but to ask for chapters in the middle of the manuscript. Because what I found is that writers typically spend the most amount of time perfecting chapters one, two, and three. And so you'll get chapters one, two, and three, and they will be far better than the rest of the manuscript. And then mm. you kind of have misquoted and it takes you a lot longer um, to, to complete that manuscript. So that was one lesson that I learned mm-hmm. the hard way. That's, that, and that's a great recommendation for editors to, to pay attention really to different ways of assessing whether they're a match with the client, because that match is really important to both sides of the party there, right? Absolutely. Um, what are some of the myths about editing or editors that writers tend to, to have or they've heard? So I'm going to give you two. One is you can't edit your own story. And that's baloney. That's like saying you can't write your own story. I, I, it really frustrates me when I hear that from an editor in particular, because anything you do, you have, if you want to be the world's best at something, 
You're a golfer, you have a coach, you practice. You're a painter, you understand how paints mix together and what colors make colors and what textures make textures, whatever. You know all of your craft. And you yourself have to practice, practice, practice. So editing is the same. It's hard work. It's, it's a complex task, but you can learn it like anything else. Absolutely. And so I get frustrated when writers have been told I can't edit my own thing. And I think, well, I believe this so strongly. I created a company. I created a product for people to edit their own stories. I put everything I have in the last five years into this company because I believe that so strongly. Like it just, you know, you can tell it frustrates me that somebody might think I can't do that. Of course you can do it. Just learning techniques. And the other myth out there um, so editors aren't always right. People make mistakes. They're human. They might miss something. And so um, a writer needs to know their craft when they're working with an editor. So if you're working with a story editor, you should understand what makes a good story so that you can do pushback with your editor and go, hmm, I don't really agree with that. I'm not going to do it. But you have a reason for not listening. A copy editor um, you need to know the grammar and punctuation rules. And I'm gonna give a very personal example here. Um, when I had an editor with my publisher, my second editor, the person introduced 22 errors in the first 17 pages. Introduced, not missed, introduced, right? Shocking. So had I not known the grammar rules and went, um, <laughs> I'm not sure why you're saying this because the grammar rule is this. So. It's two independent clauses with, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so <laughs> had I not known the craft myself, I wouldn't have known. And I would have gone, okay, great, accept, accept, accept. And it would have just been terrible. So I, of course, moved on to a different editor. Um, so you need to, you really need to know these things. It's a myth that you can just send your stuff to an editor and go, yep, yeah, okay, everything's good. You might get lucky, but editors are human. They're going to make mistakes. And so that it has to be a responsibility of the writer and the editor. And the writer has a responsibility in working with an editor to know their stuff. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And, you know, this comes to a question that I'm going to, in fact, maybe I'm going to ask you this now rather than um, okay, do sw it. swapping the questions around. So what this was making me think of is, how you know the difference between good editing and editors who have removed your voice. So can you mm -hmm. like talk a little bit about the balance between editors who over edit versus giving, versus like augmenting the writer's voice? Yeah, sure. So, so I'm gonna go at this in two different ways. Um, one is for a story edit. So an author has two voices. And one is they have their story intent um, and what they want their story to say, right? So that's the author intent. And you can usually tell what it is from an editor's perspective, but from the blurb, which is why I always ask for a blurb. And if the writer doesn't have one, I make them write one because I want to know what is their intent for the story. So that's voice one. And the other voice is how they write their prose. That's voice two. So typically a story editor is gonna over-influence um, on, on the story intent. So, um, and I'll give a specific example here. So last fall I edited a historical novel and there was a few scenes in it that were historically accurate but had nothing to do with the plot, 
So I talked to the, the writer about it and said, you know, every scene has to be related to the plot. And if it's not, you should really consider cutting it. Now, of course, it's your story, so you decide. And so his answer was, well, I want that history in there. So you think, okay, so it's important to this writer to have the history. Let's look at different ways that you can add something to the scene to link it to the plot. How does it impact the protagonist? What's the negative or positive for it? And figure out how to link it in so then you can have the scene you want, but it still works with the story. Mm -hmm. Had I just insisted, you know what? You can't have that. It's not related to the plot. That's kind of bullying a little bit and over-influencing. And some authors are very good at pushback and other authors are hesitant. They don't want to hurt the editor's feeling. They think the editor knows everything, which no editor does, including me. So you have to be very careful from a story perspective to understand what does the author want with the story and how can you help them accomplish it? And there's always ways, you just have to get a little creative in your head and quite often talking to a, a, an author, you can, you just bounce your own ideas and then all of a sudden it goes ding, ah, it's that. And so for every one of the scenes with this author, we figured out, okay, here's how we're gonna change the scene, but the historical part is still there. That was so important to him. So that is the story side. On the copy editing side, that's where prose tends to get influenced. And so if an editor is going through a story and just using track changes, taking words out, adding words in, moving words around with no explanation, that is taking over the author's voice. If an author says, um, I find this particular word uh, vague, happy, it's a good word, okay. Is there a way you could rewrite the paragraph to show that the protagonist is happy and use, or use a more specific word, happy how, um, you know, tears of joy, which is a cliche, but there's all kinds of things. And so instead of rewriting it for the author, you show them different ways to do it. So you can try this or try that. It's a problem here because it's too big and I can't visualize it, which you want your readers to do. So um, you'll know if you're working with an, an editor who's just making changes all the way through, that's gonna influence your voice without educating you on how to. And I know from Sasha, I've seen some of your edits where you have a great explanation of what filtering is, right? And so when you tell a writer, this is filtering and Sasha edited one of my books this is how I know this. <laughs> so when you tell a writer, this is filtering and I, I know, and, but I can't, you know, I missed it in my own, my own story. And so um, it then gives the explanation with an example of what filtering is and one with and one th without. So it enables the writer to then go, oh, okay, I can do that. Or even better, if an editor can find an example in their book, this paragraph you wrote this way, it's brilliant, way to go. Try rewriting this one using the same techniques because you know you can do it, done it here. This one didn't quite work. And you can show the writer, it's like showing and telling, show the writer how to fix it versus telling them how to fix it and influencing their voice. Oh, just, I love these examples. This is going to be such a good uh, episode. What, one of the things this made me think of is um, editors, good editors, have the ability to know what you are trying to say 
and help you actually say it or help right. you actually create that voice. Mm -hmm. So like, um, for example, if you do things unintentionally, it is very obvious to an editor that it is mm -hmm. unintentional. If you have done them intentionally, it is also very obvious to an editor. Mm -hmm. For example, Terry Pratchett overused personification and adverbs but for humor. And so it was very obvious that he was doing that. And so no editor mm -hmm. in their right mind would have edited out um, the, the right. number of adverbs that he used or the, the amount of repetitive personification because mm -hmm. that was part of what made his voice. Um, and so I think, you know, a, a good editor will see what you are trying to do and show you how to do that to the best of like your ability because mm -hmm. you know you know we don't always show um you know create the the type of voice that you know that, that we're trying to do yeah. um another example Addie LaRue I don't know if you've read Addie LaRue uh, mm -hmm. or the, the Invisible Life of Addie LaRue used a lot of rhythm and um like rhythmic uh, prose you a lot of sentences with five um like beats in them mm -hmm. and because I was looking for that I could see it um but and and also it was very intentionally used whereas I think one of the things that wasn't intentionally used or intentionally done there was one particular word and I'm gonna butcher saying it um I can't, I don't, can't remember exactly it was like a palimpsest or something anyway it basically meant like uh looking something that showed the past in the present or something along those lines anyway and it was used like six or seven times in the book and I was like ah because it's because it's such an unusual word you can't mm -hmm. use that word that many times and it no. look like it's intentional it looks like a mistake and so yeah. it's you know there were a couple of copy editing things that I was like oh this book is amazing but but know. you know this is the difference between me as an editor and then whoever and I'm not saying I'm yeah. better than whoever did her copy editing I mean the book is phenomenal yeah. but you know I'm just saying like different editors will will pick up on these different things well and you know editors read differently too right mm -hmm. you read every word and you think about why is this in here why is this paragraph here how come this is in this scene why is this character in this scene and, and as you're editing you ask yourself these questions and so you're seeing a book a little bit differently than um, a reader is going to read it. Mm -hmm. And so, it, you know, a, a writer kind of has to get ready for your editor is looking for ways to help you make this better. So, you know, it can feel a little bit overwhelming, but they're really trying to help you look for the places in your story that you can make it better. Exactly. All right. One of the questions I see getting asked quite a lot is how do you actually know if an editor is any good? And so for me, this is a two part question. Um, so number one, when you're looking for an editor, how do you know whether an editor is actually going to be good? Like with, like when you're approaching and researching editors and number two, what does a good editor look like? What do they do? Well, they look like, you know, they have brown hair. Yeah. And, <laughs> is that what you mean? I don't think yeah. so. <laughs> what do they look like? So finding an editor, you want to know your source. Um, you know, LinkedIn is a good place to read people's profiles of what they've done and how they edit. Um, it's always good to Google an editor's name to see what's out there for them. You can go with companies like First Editing 
Um, and I'll say I'm a little biased towards them because they are the first fictionary certified story coach company and I trained all their editors, but <laughs> there's lots of good companies out there. Readsy has lots of good editors. Um, so the search, I mean, I'm not a real expert in the actual search, but once you do find someone you're considering, um, a good editor is going to be happy to answer your questions. And so if you're looking for a story editor, ask them what they deliver as part of the story edit. And it can't, the answer can't be vague. You know, I do a high level structure at your book. I look at characters, plot and setting, and I look for plot holes and pacing. Okay. Anybody can read that off the internet and know that's what they're looking for, right? The specific questions to ask are, do you look at the story arc and, and tell me if my key scenes are in the right place? Yes or no? Because that's a key part of a story edit. Do you evaluate my structure based on word count per scene or, or the number of chapters in the scene and look at it overall? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, uh, it's leading away from a story edit. Um, and, you know, specifically, how do you um, evaluate the characters in, in my story? Will you tell me if I have too many or too little? And so ask specific questions and ask them for a sample summary letter, because every editor should be sending a summary letter of the edit to the writer when they're done, along with the edit. And you can get a good view from a sample summary letter of how um, knowledgeable that editor is. And then for a story edit, I also recommend find an editor who will spend a couple hours with you after the edit is done. And I say this because um, a lot of my clients find huge value of discussing what I've said and saying, well, I was trying to do this. How else could I do it then? Because I really want to do this. And you think, okay, and you can have a conversation. And um, I also video those calls so that the writer isn't overwhelmed with trying to take notes of mm -hmm. what I'm saying. And then that video goes directly to them and they own it. It's theirs. It's part of the package that they can actually have an in-depth conversation about the edit and then go away and think about it because it can be a little bit overwhelming. And so, um, you know, it's like, if you think of it, um, so I worked in a ski resort and I hired 400 people a year. So I've, I've done many, 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 many job interviews. And the thing I learned about finding the right person is you have to ask specific questions. It can't be, um, you know, how do you deal with conflict? Oh, well, I'm very personal and I'm, you know, always look at the other person's side whenever it can't be a question like that. It has to be, give me an example of a time you had an uncomfortable conflict with somebody and how did you handle it? And then the person will tell you a story and you can see from that, is that the right person for you? And it's the same when you're looking for an editor, ask specific questions of what you need. Does that answer that? I kind of went on for a bit there. No, yes, yes, it does. That definitely tells me um, uh, like the, what does a good editor look like in terms of when you're researching? Um, so I suppose the only, the only, added extra is what should a good editor editor do should they just I mean I suppose you've said that in in terms of giving you a bit uh, like some time afterwards is there anything that like key traits or actions I mean you've spoken a little bit about um maybe I'm just going to summarize because like I'm picking out all of the excellent things that you've said and I just want to make sure that everybody's heard them so like some of the things that I've heard you say a good editor should do is not just track change they should um 
give an example and an explanation as to why. They mm-hmm. um, should give you a summary letter uh, at the end. Um, and they, yeah, should offer like you an opportunity to ask questions. Some editors may not be comfortable on camera but perhaps a phone call mm-hmm. or um, an extended email exchange perhaps is there anything else that I've missed that good editors should do yeah one of the things um, is is editors also should tell you what you're good at you need to know that because it's very hard to self-assess yourself and sometimes it surprises a writer um it, you know I edited a book in the fall that um the guy had written three scenes in a row and they were perfect from, from pacing and tension up, down, and then up a bit more. And so I took these and went, okay, right here, this is excellent. And this is why. So, you know, you can do this now take this and apply this to your other scenes. And when I talked to him afterwards, he said that was the most valuable piece of advice because he actually one got confidence that, Oh, I can write something. And two, this is how I do it. And I do it, not an example of somebody else's, but I did it. So I know I can do it. And so it's a huge confidence booster. And, you know, I I really believe an editor is there to encourage the writer to continue with their writing career, not hammer them so hard that they give up and don't want to write anymore because it's such a devastating, here's everything wrong with your book. Of course, there's going to be something wrong with your book. That's because that's why you went to an editor, right? That's the whole reason. But you also need to know what you did great because there is something I've not edited a single book where I couldn't find something that was really good and show the writer what they're good at. Mm-hmm. And like a great segue, because you're right, it, it is overwhelming when you get that feedback. Um, and oh, I think no matter how much you prepare yourself for your first like developmental or copy edit, when you get that manuscript back, is kind of devastating even though a good editor will tell you lots of good positive things I mean yeah it -hmm. doesn't matter how good of a writer you are that manuscript is going to be smothered in red so Mm -hmm. how how can writers deal with that editorial overwhelm like what approaches do you recommend in terms of dealing with the feedback from editors So one little piece of advice I got from one of my very first editors was for her, um, and it's Joan Barfoot, and she's a very well-known Canadian writer, and I had the luxury of working with her. And the first thing she said to me was, okay, when she gets an edit back, she reads through all of the comments, and then she has a fit, stamps her feet, and leaves it for a couple of days, like just, this is terrible, and settles down. And so you give yourself time emotionally to go, okay, this is what it is. And then when you go back to it, be organized in how you're going to review and edit. And, um, you know, one way is to, you know, pick some of the easy things first, right? I'm going to tell you never, never do an accept all ever, ever. That's my one rule. Never, never, never. Because you don't know there's not something you don't agree with in there. Um, So do some stuff that gets you going creatively and and you fix some easy stuff and you feel accomplished a little bit before you achieve the hard things. Um, And then you wanna keep track of what you fix too. And you have to think about, okay, now I've changed something. How's it impacting the rest of the story, right? And so, I mean, 
I do all of my edits in Story Coach, which is very organized. And so the writer has an organized way of looking at each scene and the text for the scene and my notes are side by side. And so they can read it and they can strike out once they're done with my comments. And so they can see progress through. You can check off scenes so that you go, okay, I've done that scene. I don't have to go back and look at it. So you can keep track of your own progress to make you feel like you're accomplishing things. And editing is really seriously hard on your brain. So don't do too much at once. An hour, take a break, go for a walk, whatever, play with your dog, doesn't matter. But once you start to get tired and go, oh, it's good enough, stop. Go do something else and come back and realize that after a, a, a thorough story edit, it can take you two to six months to revise your story. So don't think that you can go on a day and go, okay, I'm just going to do it all. It's not that kind of edit. Mm. Your proof, perhaps, but not uh, not a developmental story edit. It takes mm-hmm. weeks. Um, mm-hmm. And I also find, and not everybody has the luxury um, of this amount of time, you know, if you're pumping out a book a month or whatever, but I need... So I do almost exactly as you said. I read it, I have a tantrum, and I put it away. And then um, I personally need percolation time. So I I might actually read the comments more than once before I put it away. Mm -hmm. And then I just let them sit and I think about it. And sometimes I end up changing, you know, really big things, moving scenes around or or whatever. And I, I try to give my brain that time just to sit and think mm-hmm. and not make immediate snap changes um, yeah. because I often find that if I just give myself that brain space I will come up with something better anyway yep, yep. you know and the interesting thing about that too is that sometimes you know you'll wake up a week later in the morning and go oh I know how to fix that I got it but if you don't give yourself time to let your brain work in the background it's really difficult to do mm-hmm completely agree all right last question before I ask my uh, favorite question what what if any mistakes do you think uh, writers make when trying to work with editors well I've already said my one never never accept all yeah <laughs> um one is 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 uh taking the advice too strictly so if a write, if a, if an editor says, you know, this scene's not working, the pacing is too slow, here's why, blah, blah, blah. And maybe they give you a suggestion of how to fix it. Don't take the first thing that comes to mind, right? Think about it a little bit. And, and you know, the writer has to take ownership. It's their book, right? So they have to settle down and really think about what the editor is saying, right? And I know it's, especially for a newer writer, it's, it's often the feeling while well, the editor knows, but, but the editor's one person in the world. So mm-hmm. really, really take the time. Um, and the other is don't get offended by what the editor is saying. It's not personal. When the editor is reading your book, most likely they don't even know you. These days, you don't, you know, you meet anyone in person, you have a few e- email exchanges and you make your deal and off you go. Um, or maybe you had a call or something, but it's not a personal critique. It's, it's critique of a piece of art to make it better. And, you know, I like to believe most editors out there really want to help you make your story better. And if you take the advice in this context that there's someone thinking hard on the other end of this about your book, 
it's a lot easier to accept that they're really playing around in their head. Well, what would make it better? How could they pick up the pacing, you know, get rid of some of this backstory, whatever the answer is um, that it's, you know, that, and, and I think that's the hardest piece of advice of, you know, the scene needs to be cut or this backstory needs to be cut or something like that. Um, think about why the writer, the editor is saying that and then decide for yourself, do you really want to cut it or not? I couldn't agree more. All right, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Okay, my inner rebel. Yes, okay. So um, I was working in Germany and um, I'd been there for about four years. And previous to that, I'd gone on a vacation in Thailand and we, my husband and I, we'd seen a, a, a sailboat and it was from California. Like, well, how the hell can there be a sailboat? Oops, I just swore. How could there you're be a loud, sailboat? You're loud. <laughs> how could there be a sailboat from California and Thailand? And my husband says, oh, those people are cruising around the world. I'm like, well, I want to do that. How do you do that? That looks good. And so we had these great jobs in Germany and decided we're going to quit and go sailing. And our, our friends thought, what are you insane? You can't quit those jobs. They're awesome jobs. You're on an expat package. You're living in Europe. You're traveling around every week and you're skiing all over the place. What are you doing? And we thought, no, it's not good enough. So we quit and we bought a sailboat. And so I've lived on a sailboat for nine years, oh um, two different times, one for four years, one for five. And what it really set in me is, is um, I mean, I don't think of myself as a rebel, but I don't like to take my life for granted. And I like to figure out how can I do the life I want, you know, and still earn a living because obviously <laughs> you have to earn a living. <laughs> you can't be too rubble that you don't earn a living, but it changed my whole perspective. And then after sailing, there's no way I was going to go back and work for corporations. So we started Fictionary because, you know, we wanted to do something that we love, that we're passionate about every day and we're in control of. And so, I don't know, I guess that's my little role. I'm not really a rebel. That's the best thing I can come up with. <laughs> No, I love it. I think you had a, a similar rebellion last time, but I think it's such a good reminder that, you know, we anything is actually possible. Like so many times we put these self-limiting beliefs on ourselves. Oh, mm -hmm. you know, I can't quit my job because blah, I can't mm -hmm. do this. You know, I spent a long time feeling trapped in my day job because my house was also owned by my employer. And oh. I was terrified that if you know, I was under threat of redundancy four times in two years. I mean, oh, I basically yeah. spent two years on, on the redundancy line. Um, and I was, I let fear control me. Now that's not to say, just like you said, you still have to make a living. So that's not to say that, you know, everybody should just say, fuck it. And, you know, throw caution right. to the wind or whatever. But also most of the time we are, putting some kind of self-limiting belief on ourselves yeah you know when yeah. we think say oh it's not possible to earn 100 grand a year yeah of course it is you know how many people are doing that you know you know how many you probably know yeah. people who do how you know it's impossible to earn a million pound a year is it though is it is it really impossible I think it might be possible might it you know or I can't yeah. possibly up sticks and live in Bali well why not why can't you Right. You know, and so, yeah, like, I think it's a, a wonderful reminder that we should always question, question a limiting statement that we make. Yep. Um, and yeah, so yes, I love that. All right. Tell everyone where they can find out more about you, uh, your books, your courses, uh, story coach, fictionary, all of that good stuff. 
Okay, I'm going to keep this really short. One is fictionary.co, not .com, .co. That's our website. We have a free trial for both storyteller and story coach. And within there, you can chat with me to your heart's content. We have it, you know, you can just pop in there. It's the fastest way to reach me. It's the thing I pay most attention to. Um, you know, emails can sit there for a week, who knows. But in the app, I actually, I, that's my favorite go-to because I know it's all writers in there. Um, Sasha's going to put up the link for an insider's view to story editing. And um, we're also going to give you a big discount on that. So normally it's $99, but because it's Sasha. Um, it's $39 for anyone who's listening to this. And um, the coupon code is, oh, I'm going to forget Sasha's it. Sasha's Rebels. Sasha Rebels. Sa Sasha, Sasha Rebels. Rebels. So, so Sasha will put that in the thing so that um, you can go and see a, a preview of it. Um, but if you're a writer who's looking to hire a story editor, this is a great way to learn about what they do and much more in depth than what we've talked about today. Um, and also we have coupon save 20. If you'd like to try Storyteller, either annual or monthly, you can save 20% on that. Um, give it a go. Let me know what you think. We love feedback. We change the app based on what writers tell us. So love to hear from you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a gigantic thank you uh, to all of the show's listeners and an even bigger thank you to all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content and uh, Poison and Pro sprints and all of that good stuff, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Christina Stanley and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. All right, guys, don't forget that you can get that whopping discount from $99 down to $39 for the Christina's Insiders Editing course uh, by using the discount code Sasha Rebels. And you can also get 20% off of her uh, storyteller as well. So I will include links to that in the show notes. And in terms of next week's episode, I'm going to be talking to Janelle Hardy, and we're going to be talking all about how to write a memoir. So join us next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.